Herzlich willkommen zum Resonance-Podcast von Deloitte. Als wir am Jahresbericht gearbeitet haben, wurde uns schnell klar, dass es in Wirtschaft und Gesellschaft notwendig ist, aktiv den Austausch zu suchen. Weil unsere Welt komplexer und schnelllebiger wird. Wir müssen zuhören, hinterfragen, nach- und vordenken und vor allem miteinander sprechen. Kurz, es braucht Dialog und Resonanz. In diesem Podcast geht es genau darum. In der ersten Staffel steht das Thema künstliche Intelligenz im Mittelpunkt. Wir haben mit Experten, Machern und Meinungsbildnern gesprochen. Wenn Sprachassistenten in unseren Alltag einziehen, was verändert sich für uns im Jahr 2030? Wie schaffen KI-Modelle Freiraum für den Menschen? Und warum demokratisiert AI as a Service die Technologie? Wie verbessert digitale Bildung die Integrationschancen von Migranten? Und wie wandelt sich unternehmerische Verantwortung, wenn digitale Produkte immer mehr Zugriff auf unser Leben erhalten? Wir wünschen viel Spaß beim Zuhören. The Radar Screen for Strategists Artificial Intelligence has been doing much more than supposedly simple tasks for a long time now. As an example, the startup B3i has been trialing the use of AI-assisted future scenarios to compare against its corporate strategy. Ken Mark, former chief marketing officer of the company, explains why intuition will always play a role despite smart technology and why companies no longer need annual plans. Well, thank you for joining us today, Ken, in our Q&A on AI in the insurance industry. Working for B3i, Would you be so kind to briefly describe what that actually is and does? Yes, of course I can. And, and firstly, it's a, it's a pleasure to do this, uh, to do this for you. It's, uh, it's a, a subject very close to my heart, obviously. But basically in B3i, what we're involved with is using blockchain, or we prefer to say distributed ledger technology, um, in the sphere of insurance. In other words, we're building applications for the insurance market um, using this new, very, very new technology. Please let us also know a bit about your role in the company. What are you doing with uh, B3i and uh, what are the challenges you are facing? So my role in the company as chief marketing officer is, is really to promote the, the awareness of, of the company, the brand, and also to, to help with the education of, of uh, potential customers with what, what uh, blockchain can do, the benefits of blockchain. Um, and then obviously now as we are in a sales mode because we just released our, our first product, is to, is to help the sales team with, with preparing you know, marketing materials that they need in order to, uh, to promote the sales. Um, I mean, in, in terms of the challenges, you know, we, we could go on for a very long time, you know, with, with challenges around any new technology or any innovation. Um, and, but a lot of those really are about changing the mindsets of people. So people generally with new things, they, they get very uneasy. Um, they don't realize maybe perhaps the longer term vision of something. They get more worried about shorter term impacts. Um, so those are probably the main things I would say that, that uh, are, are the challenges. But there are other practical challenges like how do you incorporate this new technology into my existing systems and processes. So, but it's, it's all very interesting and it's not unusual, but there, there are things you overcome basically by, by explaining things carefully and, and getting people on board. The partnership that you had with Deloitte, which was not, not a typical client-vendor partnership or relationship, but something else. What exactly was it? So when, when we established um, our consortium to, to work with this new technology, we looked for people to help us. And Deloitte was one of those people. In, in, in fact, it was in Munich because we had our lab in, in Munich. And it was really because we were you know, a startup, which is quite a useful place. In fact, at the time when we started talking as, as, as partners about this, We were even in the formative 
point where we hadn't even incorporated. We were still a project. And it was an interesting scenario because you were trying to decide whether you should commercialize your product or not. And that's that's quite a big strategic decision to make, you know, because you're then going to go out to the market and say, come on, invest some money so we can build a company and employ people. Um, so it's a very interesting point at which to become involved. Um, but the reason why we were working as partners was purely and simply because we were clients in, in a sense. And, and through the network, the good old network, um, you know, um, we were introduced. And, and um, the, 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 the team at Deloitte thought, thought well, OK, yes, it, it would be very good to, to work with a startup. Um, mentality as well as obviously a more, a more mature business and that gave I think that gave them the team uh, 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 you know another perspective another dimension. So uh, what exactly were you working on with Deloitte? In strategy we work with uncertainties because why would you work with a certainty because if you know what's going to happen then you don't need a strategist so you know the uncertainties are the biggest thing so defining those uncertainties and there could be many um, is really, really important. And the methodology would be, um, it, 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 when I was doing it with, with Aegeus, we actually started with the trends. We collected a whole bunch of trends and we assimilated them and we collected them, collated them, created clusters, created families, and then we looked at those things. And then from those, we started to see what were the biggest mega trends, if you like, that were going to happen or mega, mega indicators. And from those, we created the uncertainties. Of course, you can do it the other way around. You can start with uncertainties that are bothering you as a business, and then you collect the data to, to, to feed them. Um, but in, in that sense, we, we had this workshop. This is how it all kicked off. We had a workshop with, with the team um, to define what were the most important things um, that we would be interested in. And, uh, and during that process, we, we landed on these two specific ones there were there were several but that we landed on these two specific ones which were around ai and and blockchain so those were the two uncertainties that we we came up with the most important ones admittedly the workshop arrived at them not through assimilating a lot of data but actually from the other side it's fine it's not a problem if those are the two big things that concern us then what we need is therefore the information that feeds them and that and that tells us how those influences will change over time was it clear from the beginning that artificial intelligence would come into play in this project? Or did it come up one day? Or did the Deloitte guys come up with the idea? Or how did it come into play? Um, really, I mean, you know, it's, it's really based on my experience in, in, uh, in doing um, this, this kind of work of horizon scanning and, and strategy work. Um, where I was doing this about five years ago, I mean, this is a you know, personal experience view, that I realized that there was a lot of effort Uh, that you are undertaking in, in sourcing trends and, and sourcing indicators that would be far better done by a machine. So, you know, a lot of our time was spent gathering information and I think, well, this is really wasteful. I'm not spending enough time uh, interpreting it. Um, so the development that, that Deloitte um, started to undertake in this project was absolutely logical to me. Um, almost a realization of the vision that I had some years before. Um, that it's a very, very uh, logical and, and practical way of, of uh, enabling the strategic strategy analyst to do his work more efficiently. 
as you just mentioned it, could you please ex explain a bit how would you do have done that before in, in earlier? Would do you have to imagine people reading all the blogs, uh, patent scripts, whatever, or day and night, or how would a human do that? What the machine is doing today? Well, you know, in a practical sense. So, so let's let's explain what what we're trying to do here. I mean, first of all, before you're trying to gather an insight into what the future looks like, what's going to happen in the future, you have to start with some information. And it's gathering that information. And what is that information? You're looking for trends. You're looking for things that are happening today or that people are talking about. And you're trying to extrapolate those things to create visions or stories about what might be the case in the future. Um, so it's a very, very manually intensive exercise. Um, and uh, it's interesting that I was talking to one university professor once and he said, oh, you only track 200 trends. Why aren't you doing 2000? And I said simply because one reason I don't need 2,000, I only need 200. And secondly, I don't have two years to do the pro to do the work. You know, my bosses want the result in two weeks, not two years. You know, um, so you know it is it is very labor intensive, but you have to keep it in context. You can only do so much with in a practical sense. But imagine that if a machine was doing it, he could do two years' work in two minutes. I think that's a good point for you to ask to explain a bit what, what Gnosis, that's the name of the machine, actually is or does for you. Well, it's just, it is, in essence, it's a software-based tool that assists with strategic analysis, especially when you are considering these future-based uncertainties and, and, and scenarios. So fundamentally, it, it enables the user to, based on the information that the tool is gathering, it enables the user to see that information and, and understand changes that are happening, whether it's in the market or in the product or whatever, or consumers, to understand those, those changes more quickly. And from that, they will identify gaps in terms of determining what the strategic direction should be. So that's fundamentally you know, what it does. It's about helping you to understand the uncertainties of the future. Um, that's it in a, in a nutshell. In, in another way, I, I kind of say it's, it's something that helps you avoid the question of why didn't we see that coming? So how many times has your boss said to you, why didn't we see that coming? Ah, because you weren't looking. So it's enabled, it is a tool that helps you see what's coming, but uh, in a much shorter time frame than you would have done previously when you're doing it manually. Wenn Strategen auf KI setzen. Gnosis kommt aus dem Altgriechischen und bedeutet Erkenntnis. Trends zu erkennen und zu monitoren ist die Aufgabe des gleichnamigen KI-Tools von Deloitte. Dieses nutzt Natural Language Processing, um Unternehmen durch Komplexität und Unsicherheit zu navigieren. Gnosis verarbeitet und analysiert unstrukturierte Daten in Echtzeit. Zusammen mit der Szenariotechnik hilft es Strategen, Marketing-Experten oder Produktmanagern, Entwicklungen auf dem Markt zu verfolgen und schneller auf Veränderungen zu reagieren. How does Gnosis impact strategy work? Can you give an example? We're in a startup kind of situation and, and planning almost happens daily. <laughs> we have a plan, you know, but we're very agile. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we will, we will kind of reevaluate things, you know, as, as we go along. But I, I'm going to take a more traditional example than maybe my, my previous employer where the tool would, would, would be most used. So previously, you know, you have a planning cycle, annual planning cycle. And you do it 
and you put the plan on the shelf, you know, and it's a three-year plan, you put it on the shelf and then you kind of get on with things and you almost forget about it. Um, actually, what we started to do, because there was something that happened in our market, um, the regulator made a change of rules and we didn't see it coming. The CEO said, why didn't we see that coming? And I said, because you weren't looking. So he then said, okay, your job is to look. Now we create a function that is looking for those changes. So that was the start. And, and what that meant is that instead of having an annual look, we have a, it wasn't quite daily because we did it quarterly because we were very manually intensive. Um, we did it quarterly. So suddenly on a quarterly basis, we were observing what might happen. And we were thinking what could change, what could change, what could change all the time, every quarter, very systematic. The difference between us and our competitors, they did it once a year. We were doing it every four times a year. But we were using a good methodology to do that, exactly the same as what Gnosis does, but manually. Um, what does Gnosis bring? It enables you to do it any time. You don't have to be fixed to a quarter date. You can do it any time you like. That's the beauty of it. So it is sort of a radar for you or a crystal bowl or a, how, to which, what would you compare it? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting way of, of asking that question. Uh, a crystal ball is basically gambling. Uh, so uh, it is not a crystal ball. It is, it is more like a radar, if you call it that. It's a, it's a, a, a kind of a, a scientific tool um, that assimilates information in a very consistent way and a very systematic way. And then it helps the user to analyze that, to spend more time analyzing it, uh, to create these views or these stories of the future, as we say. So it's, it's actually a sort of uh, a blend of science and creativity where the tool handles the science and the human handles the creative element. So it leaves you more time for the creative work or strategy work that you're supposed to do. Absolutely. But to be fair, you know, a crystal ball could be useful, but it's basically guesswork. This provides you with some substance because creativity is to some extent guesswork, but it provides you with some substance to the guesswork, which a crystal ball cannot do. Now, me being uh, not a technical expert at all, uh, can you please explain me how does the machine know what is exactly of interest for you? I mean, you have a very special interest in, in, in our future, in the future of your industry with a special focus. How does the machine know? Do you have to train it a lot so that it picks out the really interesting pieces for you? Or how does it work? Uh, so in, 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 in a sense, yes, um, it, you do have to train it. Uh, so you, you start with, and again, I'm not going to get technical because I'm not technical, but, um, but the way that it, it, it would look, I mean, it looks at things the way we do as humans, but you're teaching the machine to search for certain things and certain things will be through keywords or through some context, some contextual analysis and so on. AI today is, is, a, is a lot more smart, but it still needs to learn and you need to tell it, uh, you know, what to do. Um, but the real point about it is, is over time it improves because if you go back to the machine saying, no, that's not right, then it remembers that's not right, so it won't do it again. So next time the quality of the information you get is, gets better. So it's a little bit like, you know, AI is a little bit like a child. You know, you have to start to teach it something and then afterwards it starts using its own brain to then recount that experience and give you better quality outputs. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that all children are like that, but maybe we wish they were. Without revealing any, any secrets, can you give examples for, for, from the work that you're doing? What, what uh, would be keywords or, or fields of interest that you are looking for uh, with Gnosis? 
So specifically, where we're working in, in, in B3i is we're working with a very, very new technology you know, called blockchain. I mean, I know blockchain has been around for a long time, 10 years, but that's in the cryptocurrency world. We're using it in a different way. And the way we're using it is very, very new. So um, it's hard to know where this is going to go because it's new. Um, so we really want to be tracking what other people are doing and how these platforms, these technology platforms, is being developed. And will we see many more of them or will we see few of them? And you will really want to project whether they will start merging, whether they will become very similar or they will become very, very, very different things. Um, so it's a little bit like, uh, it's a simplistic example, but Sony Betamax and, and VHS, Philips VHS, I mean, there were other platforms which were recording film. Then we, we, we ended up with these two. Uh, now, did anyone pre predict that? Or did someone predict, no, one will be win, one will lose? Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to determine which path this is going. That influences what we do and what we plan to do very, very much. So if we had a crystal ball that could tell us, great, we don't, but we do have Gnosis. Let me ask a naive question. That sounds like a quite clearly defined field that you are looking at, not like a broad horizon that you have to keep in, in mind and, and, and to observe. Um, wouldn't it be possible to do that to do that sort of observancy also by hand or by, by a person? I mean, it, it sounds like, like a very special um, field for experts, that, that's a group that should not be too big, isn't it? I think what you're driving at is intuition. So intuition, yes, of course, you know, and, and to a very great extent in, in the past, we were perhaps more intuitive about the decisions that we made. You know, um, you know, maybe going out 20, 30 years, life was a lot more simple. You know, the way we sold insurance, the way people bought insurance was very, very simple. You didn't have to really anticipate too many changes. But we know today that people, first of all, customers change their behaviors very, very quickly. Technology changes very, very quickly, and the acceleration of the development of that technology is, is like growing exponentially. So all of those factors make your life really, really complex when you're trying to understand the future. Complex in the sense of the speed of change, but complex in the way that all of those elements interact. And there are many elements that start to interact. So all of that complexity is really, really difficult to be intuitive about. I can give you my gut feel about the future but it's much better if i've got some substance behind that but still i do believe that always there will be some kind of intuition maybe or maybe not can be replaced by a machine but there is always some kind of intuition about analyzing that information to project that story of the future my colleagues told me that you agreed to be sort of, sort of one of the better testers of the prototype which was which Gnosis still was when you joined the project um what made you take that risk i mean you didn't know does it work do i waste my time what comes out of it what will my bosses say yeah i mean i i'm not sure it, it was a risk really and certainly not for me because i i, I mean i like uh, new things i like testing new things and quite often i i i usually think the way we're doing things today can be done a lot a lot better You know, but I was very keen to help Deloitte with this work, you know, simply as, as, as I explained earlier that I, when I was doing the same thing years ago, 
you know it was a very very manual exercise and i thought well this is really stupid it's a waste of my time you know let's let the machines can do this but we did not have the means to engage a machine to do that so that made me um, you know more excited to to uh, assist deloitte with with the project um, because it, 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 cause I could see that the outcome would be I would have more time, strategy analysts would have more time um, to, to create those foresights that, that we need. Um, so when I found that Deloitte was embarking on us, I was really, really keen to, to help them. And actually when they found that I was kind of, uh, you know, had, had, had developed a methodology before, albeit a manual methodology, they were also very keen to, to, to work with me because we were basically doing the same thing. Uh, please share with us a bit of the story on how you came in touch with the first versions of Gnosis. And um, well, you mentioned already the capabilities, which were of special interest to you, but... but Please just describe what was the first moment that you joined the project. Well, I mean, you know, my first introduction uh, was was really during the very very early stage, during the development phase of the tool, where I had the pleasure of of of, of meeting the guys that were actually designing it, <clears throat> and I was able to spend some time with that development team. Um, so that's a little bit a little bit different to most scenarios where you're kind of given a prototype and you're asked to use it. So this was sort of pre-prototype. Um, and that was really, um, really useful for them and, and, and for me and, 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 and quite nice to be involved at that stage. Um, um, in terms of the feature, the best sort of feature or special interest uh, about this is the fact that you can get this real-time visualization through the dashboard of, of, uh, of these scenarios that are emerging. Um, the way the trends or the information that's coming in influence those those scenarios is real time. But the reality is, you, actually, in our job, we don't need it real time. I mean, it doesn't change much from one day to the next. It changes maybe one month, three months, and so on and so forth. In which case, you say, why do I need it real time? The reason why it's great is because in, in, when, my, when we used to do it manually, if the CEO said, there's something happening in the market, I need information, then it takes you two weeks to get that information. Here, you get the information straight away. You spend the time analyzing it rather than gathering it. So at any time you're presented with a challenge, you can go into the tool and look for it. So that's really uh, the, 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 the best, the best um, for me, in my opinion, the best uh, feature of this tool. Now, as most people will never see Gnosis or have the chance to use it, um, can you just just uh, briefly explain how you use it? You mentioned already the dashboard. Just explain the, the functionality of Gnosis. How does it look? How do you use it? Just briefly. Uh, briefly, wow, that's a challenge. Um, so, so in the background, the machine is, is, is gathering information all the time. And, and you are observing, specifically the way it's set up, is you're observing two, two axes, which are uncertainties. So will there be many blockchains or very few? Will there be AI which is controlling the whole world or, or AI which is pretty dumb? Um, and, and you're interested in those things because you don't know where they're going to work and how they interoperate. And, and the, the way we're, we're using it really is to track that. And, If we saw, uh, because there is a time series, there is a, um, the data is portrayed on a, on a graph um, where you see how it changes over time. If you see a spike, if you see something that, you know, uh, in the line goes suddenly goes up, you think, okay, something happened. There was some information that came in that caused that. You go and you look at it and you say, okay, why was that? Oh, it's because the Chinese just launched a new blockchain platform. 
So that's interesting, but it's not necessarily fundamental. What was more fundamental is if you started seeing a lot of spikes. And if you started seeing that the trend of the line starts to go up or down, then you know there is more than just a spike. You know there is something really happening. So I kind of liken that to, you know, a bad weather storm does not mean there is climate change. <laughs> but several bad weather storms over several years means there's a problem. And it's probably something called climate change. So that's the way we would tend to use it. It's not something that you would necessarily look at one day and make a decision, but it's something you observe over time. Exactly. And if I understand correctly, you also have the chance to look into what is this spike, for example. The machine not, not only tells you there's a spike, but you can also see what, what is behind it, right? Yes, absolutely. So if you do see a spike, typically you would want to know what that spike is because you don't just ignore it. So you go in, you go into the machine mm -hmm. and you interrogate it further. You use the filters that are built into the machine. Those filters, some of them are based on the source of the information. So you might filter out this sort of the the general buzz and noise and you go to the the more specific sources you'd have a look at those why because they're generally more reliable than just chatter on the internet you know and then you look at those and you say and then you start to interrogate exactly what happened so it's it's a management information source now to be frank in our daily jobs we probably see that coming in on newsreels and things but you know we're just looking at it out of interest you pick up the newspaper you see something interesting you put it down what this is doing is it's telling you when you should look at something and when you you know maybe don't want to bother um so yes you're absolutely right that the spike gives you the opportunity then to interrogate further and deeper into the tool to extract those indicators or those trends or those articles that are making that happen so it's 100% transparent where the information comes from. It's, many people are afraid of AI because they see it as sort of a black box where we can't understand how does it come to this conclusion. Whereas you obviously can look into why did it uh, alarm me to this trend or something. Well, there is there's still an element of black box going on, you know, to be fair, because, you know, it's AI and it's machine learning. Um, it's been programmed in a certain way, but what it does, you know, you have to trust. Um, the transparency comes because you can see the source of that of that article um what you don't really see is how the ai is perhaps uh, um you know um uh, adding adding uh, multipliers to this particular information versus that other piece of information um but that's okay that's not a not an issue not in my opinion because actually i can see the source and i can assess in my own head whether that source is relevant or not i think you know where i see that it's not relevant that's where i would then give the machine feedback to say this is not relevant actually you got it wrong and you need to learn from that um, but over time as you can imagine you build up some trust the machine builds trust in you and you build trust in the machine and then eventually you get to a point where actually you rely on what you're seeing rather than having to know what's going on underneath the skin Does it still mean that from time to time do you have to sort of teach the machine or train your machine? Or are you at a stage where you personally, as you said, have trust into each other? Well, I think at this stage there's still a lot of learning the machine has to do. I mean, um, but I, I would say that you would always have to teach a machine. Mm -hmm. And would we ever be completely happy with a machine? No, we won't. Never, ever. Why not? Because um, a machine, in my opinion, cannot completely emulate human traits. So... The, based on my experience of so many years in the insurance, you cannot, you cannot, the machine cannot emulate that experience. 
It might gather it, but it can't emulate it. So there will always be a, even if it's a 1% uh, element, I personally do not believe that a machine can ever be 100% human. But could you also give, give some examples on some insights you gained through Gnosis, um, or maybe just one example, and how it supported your strategic work, apart from leaving you more time for, for the creative stuff? Is there any concrete or specific example? Well, I, I have to put this into context a little bit, um, because uh, to be fair, in, in, in the market that we're working in, um, you know, our, uh, the, the use case we've coded into the, into the platform is very much as expected. So there was nothing, you know, sort of unusual about it. And the results we're getting from it are not unusual. They're expected. You know, we do expect that there will be less uh, blockchain platforms rather than more. That's expectation. It's not reality. And again, we do expect that AI will become more and more clever rather than simply to remain less and less clever. But um, the but it could change. I mean, anything can change. And, and this is where you need something like this to spot the potential changes. Why could it change? Suddenly, a load of companies might decide, hey, this blockchain stuff is really cool. Let's all pile in. Let's start developing. So you then start with a plethora of, of, of blockchain platforms being developed. And on the other hand, on the AI side, we know it's increasing in sophistication. We know that it's tending towards more control by machines. But there's still an emerging uncertainty there around perhaps a backlash from the public, public who don't want control by machines, or probably more importantly, the regulator. So if the regulator comes in and says, hey, guys, no, this can't happen, and they could um, very, very quickly change that pattern that you're seeing. So um, in a sense, uh, Gnosis wasn't specifically helping us with any insights that we weren't already aware of, but... That's not necessarily true in some other industries, but really the, the practicalities of it come, come to the surface when something unusual happens. And that's probably something important to remember because it's giving you indicators that you should investigate further. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which leads to a question, uh, I don't know if that's value, uh, true for you, but being a strategist, usually, or if I hire Deloitte, they come up with a few scenarios, they show me and say, well, you have five scenarios for your industry, and, and it's up, in the end, it's up to you to decide, well, I go into the path five. Um, is it right that Gnosis also helps you a bit in, in overcoming this dilemma by, by giving you hints which direction could be more probable or likely to happen in the future? Um, it, it certainly does. It, it, it's giving you so any strategist needs, you know, needs um, kind of, you know, information to. It, the, strategists are always looking for clues. Okay, I'll go off piece a little bit here because I'm going to explain, you know, how an archaeologist makes an excellent strategist. Now, an archaeologist is someone who just doesn't dig up a hole in the field and hopes he finds something. He has a look at aerial photographs and then he goes down and he selects a, pa a, a space to start digging. And he digs by layer by layer and he records things that look unusual. And he records that in the form of data. What does a strategist do? A strategist doesn't just go and read the newspaper. He looks for specific pieces of information and then he interprets that information and he records it in a database. And then he starts to create a story from that. The archaeologist creates a story from this hole, 
and then he makes another one and then he looks at the data that there is in another area or another in another county or something like that and then he starts to create stories around those a strategist does exactly the same so it's all about looking for clues and creating stories or scenarios to help to create a picture of the future now you don't know the archaeologist never knows if that's absolutely true what he says nor does the strategist but the more information you get the more accurate that picture can be um, the the trick and, and this is where maybe there's a departure from the archaeologist but the, the the trick for the strategist is that he just has to wait he just has to spend some time to see the thing coming towards him and it's a little bit like standing on a beach and you see some white waves in the distance you do not know if it's a tsunami or if it's just some wind as it comes closer to you you start to see the, so the the strategist is looking for that to come closer that scenario and then as it comes closer he gets more information to decide whether it's big or small and the same as a tsunami or the wave or the surface wave or something like that so that's how I kind of use an analogy to try to sort of explain what the strategist is doing and it's all about the more information you have the better the story or the scenario you can tell and the better, I don't like the word prediction, but the foresight you can create from it. Are there any other industries or professions whom you would uh, recommend to use or who you imagine could be um, use, using Gnosis or an instrument like Gnosis in their work? Well, for sure, you know, this is, this is a tool that fundamentally helps the, uh, the, the strategist or the strategic analyst, uh, maybe even the archaeologist, but uh, if you reverse engineered it. But, um, um, but there are also, you know, the people who are developing new products um, who want to see what the competition is doing and where the trends are in terms of product development. Also, marketeers who want to understand consumer behavior and how that's changing, and, and we know how quickly that changes these days with, with social media, so marketing functions. Um, but actually, the most gain is really in that, in that strategic insight created by the, the strategy function that is informing the executives about the robustness or the sustainability of their strategy. And they're the people who are saying, who are making the flags to say, guys, the strategy looks good today but if this scenario happened there's a gap and you would not be sustainable as a business therefore you have to think about what you need to do to close that gap so in a certain way gnosis and i helps to to de develop your business um do you have any idea on how it will uh, change the business consultancy business uh, that is deloitte's business just as a client of or a partner of deloitte do you have any idea on that well um I, I'm, I'm not sure how, how well I can answer this because I'm not in the consulting business. I, I don't know, you know that much. But you know, let's just look at any business. Um, uh, any business is going to change with the increased use of, of AI, you know, either overtly because they choose to use it or, or because it is embodied in the tools that they're using. So if they're using Gnosis, they're using AI. So um, clearly it will have an impact on, on, on businesses. Um, what's the consequence of that? Well, it makes them more efficient and it hopefully improves the speed of delivery of, of whatever they do, services, products, and improves the quality of the decision-making or the advice that they give. The advice would be in the case of consultants. So, um, and ideally, I would always say, hopefully it would also reduce costs for the company and, and hopefully for the customer as well. Um, but, uh, you know, so at the end of the day, I, I think it will have 
fundamental um, impacts on all businesses, including consulting. Um, consulting is a is a very people business. I mean, you know, one consultant firm is different to another, and quite often, um, you know, it's a bit like recruiting people. I, I tend to recruit people on the basis of the chemistry I have with that person, not their capability. Um, so quite often. You know, when you're making a, a presentation, you know, a pitch, you know, to a client as a consultant, you know, the pitch might be brilliant, but you might be mm, not quite what they expected. And and that's something which your machine can't really emulate very well. So I can I have good chemistry with a machine? I can have good chemistry with you and not with you. But a machine is pretty bland. Uh, I, I might as well just print the PowerPoint and send it to them. You know? The question is, is, is that good or bad? I mean, maybe the chemistry factor is something which stands in our way sometimes. So if, if we take that out. The chemistry factor definitely stands in the way uh, sometimes. And sometimes it's a very positive because you can have a very poor presentation, but you can be a brilliant, you know, have brilliant chemistry. Uh, the question is really for the client. Which one would you rather work with? Someone who you like? who may be 80% there or someone who you don't like, but the product is 100%. If that's the case, you might as well work with a machine, mm -hmm. um, which is probably what you're driving at, you know, but it, it'll probably take some time. There's always going to be someone who's going to say, well, I'd rather talk to a human being. L let me give you an illustration of that. You know, machines do not do empathy. Okay, they don't have emotion. So we heard today, you know, we're in London and yesterday there were very bad storms in the north of England and Sheffield, a town in the north of England, there's some people who are, their houses are underwater, okay? So they are standing in their knees, knee deep in water and they're on the phone to their insurer to make a claim, say, what do I do? Actually, they're not making a claim, they're actually panicking, so what do I do? So the emotion is there. Now, do you think that person would rather talk to a machine which give them a scripted answer? Have you closed the door? Have you done this? Have you done that? Or do you think they'd rather talk to someone and saying, are you okay? Is the family safe? Blah, 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 blah. You can script a lot of those things, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's empathy. And machines can't do empathy. It's again, back to the chemistry. If there's good chemistry. Now, of course, there is a caveat to that because you can talk to one human being. Human beings are not homogenous. So I can talk to you and you might be very nice and helpful on the phone. You can talk to another person who is not that helpful, who just wants to get you off the phone so they can deal with the next call. So maybe a machine is better because it's more consistent. But actually, when I'm panicking, I want some empathy. If you give me empathy, then I'm probably a bit happier. Mentioning panicking, when you look into the future, could you, um, you have more than 35 years experience in the industry. That's what I read from your website. Now, if we look 35 years ahead, so very far ahead, how would you describe the role that I will play in the, uh, our industry or your industry by then? Our industry and your industry. Do you? Okay, easy. <laughs> um, so most activities that we know today will be performed by artificial intelligence, whether it's in transport, in business, in the medical field, surgery, agriculture, and so on. So, in theory, most jobs that we know today will be obsolete in 35 years' time. As 35 years ago, many jobs that were done then are today obsolete. For example, in agriculture, 
what sort of employee do you think a farmer employs today when he's wanting to milk the cows? He's not employing a, someone to milk the cows. He's employing a software engineer to manage the software that's milking the cows. So there will be, with that knowledge, we know that happened in the past, we know it will happen in the future. Many new jobs will be created. So many jobs will be obsolete, many new jobs. For insurance, which is my field, and it's you know, 35, uh, 40 years, um, I believe in the time frame we're talking about, that we will, and this is not a prediction, it's an opinion, that we will no longer, we will no longer have the need to buy insurance. Okay, why? Because a lot of that will be undertaken by artificial intelligence. Okay, whether it's incorporated into things we buy or whether we are talking to something like Alexa, that's doing it for us. Okay, um, we as a human being will no longer need to go through that process of buying insurance. This is automatic. Okay. There is still insurance, but it's done by um, well, the machines. There will always be insurance because wherever you look, there's a risk. Mm -hmm. we're, we're sitting here together, and there is a risk. There's a risk. I drink this water, and uh, you know, I get sick. Mm -hmm. You know, there are always risks. You never get rid of risks completely, mm -hmm. but the manner in which we insure those risks and those liabilities uh, will still be there. The way it is catered for will change. In, in we're talking 35 years, so there may be some people thinking out there thinking. I'm mad, but no, we're talking about 35 years away and we're talking about huge advances in technology, massive mm -hmm. advances. Mm -hmm. So this is a fundamental shift. And really the only insurance activity that we know today that will remain will be very, 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 very specialized. Now, insurance will not disappear. You still need mm -hmm. it, but the way it's delivered mm -hmm. is, is quite different. But as I go back to what I said, this is, of course, just my opinion. And I'll be very, very happy to meet you in 35 years' time to see how the world looks and how true this could be. But of course, by then, it may be my avatar and your avatar meeting rather than us in person. But there you go. Danke, dass Sie dabei waren. Wir hoffen, diese Folge von Resonance hat Ihnen genauso viel Gesprächsstoff und Anregungen gegeben wie uns. Melden Sie sich gerne und lassen Sie uns Ihre Gedanken wissen. Bis zum nächsten Mal.